Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I woke up this morning with this statement that's on the slide, and it's called personal realignment. Let's think for a minute why the Holy Spirit would be prompting us about re- Alignment. You know, I love the preparation of God's voice so much that that I I'm willing to change the trajectory of my own heart and choices by it. Right? You know, I was studying today and I got this text from somebody and I really wept a long time afterwards because I was thinking, wow, you know, it's, it's just sort of summarized what I feel like this, this season is. I wanted to not reveal who sent it to me, but I wanted to say what they said. They said, I wanted to start out by saying, I'm sorry. Last Wednesday, I was in a struggle. My resting face was atrocious. I thought that was really funny. Your message brought up a lot in me, but instead of recognizing something was being highlighted for me to search out, it turned to offense. I felt a war within because I actually agreed with everything you were saying and could actually see it the day before. All that to say, I wanted to clean up with you what I had put in the middle of our connection. Isn't that a great line? I really love that you bring what the Holy Spirit is saying and speaking to us, the hard stuff that leads us to do hard work of heart work. I like that line too. Hard work of heart work. It means so much to me, and I am sorry I struggle to receive. I don't want to live in a fence and I want to have an open heart, the open heart you talked about the very next service. I can't imagine how much it takes to get up there and speak something only to look out to see an offended face. I've been pondering on the words to say, but I didn't want it to, I didn't want to go into one more service without saying to you that I am 120 percent, I like the 120. Yeah. Tilted on over 20%, why not? But I believe in your leadership and I will move from offense to receiving the highlights and convictions, which is what my spirit longs for. I think, you know, it's part of the heart of God that he can never leave us where we are. You know, I came into this service great, but I don't want it to leave here the same. You know, I was listening to Shooty and just while ago and just, just actually, you know, I can feel the intensity within her own heart for us to know really what the blood of Jesus did for us and how it's so hard. You know, as I was reading the scripture I'm not going to preach on this right now, but it's in Colossians. It says, I pray that you would walk in the ways of true righteousness, pleasing God in every good thing you do. Then you'll become fruit-bearing branches, yielding to His life and maturing in the rich experience of just knowing God in His fullness. And we pray that you would be energized with all of his explosive power from the realm of his magnificent glory. Dang, that is a lot. Right? Filling you with great hope. That's what his presence does. You know, it's the next little sentence in this First in Colossians 1, it says, Your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude 
when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance he freely has given to us by his li by living in the light. That's why I wanted to come up here. You know, we just have to have an abundance of gratitude. You know, and I am, um, you know, I have this interesting position. Let me finish reading this. He's rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. For in the son, all of our sins are canceled and we have the release of redemption through his very blood, which is what Cece was singing. And so what is, what is a release? That it, it, it actually means that there's freedom available to all of us beyond our belief. And, and so that's why, you know, I spend so much time helping us understand the heart of God over us because we have to live this life thinking like He thinks. And we, we didn't come into the world knowing that. You know, when I was thinking about alignment today, I have this great analogy, I think, for you. And it's our immune system. So when you're born, you're born into a world that has disease. And God, crazy, I know this is crazy, but he made your body with the ability, because of this thing called, they've named the immune system, to actually fight off disease. Isn't that crazy? And so whenever you're a little kid, you know, you, you get, your immune system gets beefed up, ready for the world by, you know, being in your mom's womb for nine months. That's a good thing. And then, you know, having, drinking that free milk, that's another really great thing. <laughs> Has all kinds of stuff in there that we can't even understand, and people are selling that stuff. I mean, you know what I mean? I know, it's just crazy world out there. I feel, I feel well, let's don't get in that. And... So when it comes time to go out in the real, real world, then if we encounter something that is an enemy to our health, listen, I'm going to give you a key to healing tonight, whether you can pick up on it or not. When we encounter something against our health, then our body shifts into defense mode. Let's just for this analogy say it was in rest mode. It was in like, I'm chilling, I'm good, everything's good inside, feeling good, things are flowing good, right? We have indicators that things flow good in our body, right? And all of a sudden, bam, my, my body, it shifts into a defense mode. Now, it can't live there forever. Right? And the way he made our body is that it begins, I don't want to get too technical for you, but it begins, it begins to produce some stuff, right? That begins to make us well again. Listen, the enemy's still inside there. But my defense system, my immune system is so much stronger that it rids the enemy powerless in my life eventually. Now I propose that's what God want, how God wants you to see the supernatural. So you were born on this planet with this amazing supernatural gifting and body. And we're not we weren't great. Right? I was raised in church my entire life and trust me, I never missed if attendance would have matured me. I would have 400 doctorates. 
But see, that's the thing about religion. It's actually the disease. And I keep sitting at the table, and so I put my body in constant defense mode over and over and over and over again. It's that way with whatever system isn't God's system, whether it be the world or religion or political or whatever. And so what what begins to happen is that, you know, I like this word realignment. It's the action of restoring something to a former position. So think about it for a minute that God has graciously given this little body the amazing revelation that we have an assignment from God. When I have children, I have said to God, I am going to train them in the way they should go. That's, that is what is the mandate. I cannot get away from it. I can choose to not do it. Right? But whether they're natural children or spiritual children, it's the same mandate. When I see someone less mature than me, it's not about age. It's not about attendance. It's not about title or position. It's about when I see someone less mature and I see it, then it's up to me to parent it. Now, interesting enough, Cece had this really couple of crazy dreams last night. And, and I'm going to do my best to... So in this dream, she came upon um, a mess, if you will. Someone had not taken care of something. And it was actually... It was a cereal bowl. Still had cereal left in it. Had dried. It wasn't her cereal bowl, though. And so she decided that she would, in the dream, she decided that she would take it outside to clean it. And when she did, all of these spiders came out of the bowl and began to climb onto her left arm. Now, left, as we know, I think I wrote it down. Let me see if I did, just so I would get it right. I didn't write it down. Yeah, it means relational and spiritual. Hand, hand, arm. So what you want me to say? Yeah, this is, it's all good. Anyway, and so, so I was thinking, wow, this is crazy because we're talking about realignment. And so in the dream, it dawned on me, it wasn't her mess. Now see, let's be balanced because that's the whole point of the kingdom. I propose half of our wars come from cleaning up the wrong mess. Half the time it's just in my own head. Where I get off track and off focus and I actually invite demonic behavior because I've stuck my hand in it. Now, now Moo has a Moo just went through this. I was like, I told Cece she just dreamed what Moo went through, and and you know, I think Haley just went through this. In case you see, what happens is you have an assignment. It's not everybody, and it's not everything. And I propose, I've said this hundreds of thousands of times, I propose that we get off focus doing something that just kind of feels okay. Might even feel super great. You know, have you ever thought about the call of God may not be the most comfortable thing you've ever done? You might be far more comfortable doing some other random thing that you did when you were 15. And you're like, I was so good at that. Everybody knows me. 
And it has nothing to do with the call of God. It was strictly training. And then all of a sudden it became your identity. And you're just stuck being some identity of something. I mean, who wants to be what they were when they were 12? I mean, I don't figure, A, when he gets to be 30, he's going to be like, man, I sure hope I can be 12 again. Does anybody in here want to be 12 again? No. And so I propose, I wrote this statement. We've got to know the difference between that we're just some wretched sinner. Need and saving. Right? Versus a powerful, anointed, Holy Spirit, ward, 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 wielding. See, I put that together so I could practice. Word wielding. Whew, that was better. See, I had to separate them. I, I went and looked at Warwick the other day. See, I can't say that either. Word wielding. There, I did it. <laughs> Prophetic person that just needs refining. See, we've got to differentiate between what are you working on? Are you just working on getting saved all the time and being convinced that God did enough for you? Or are you actually working on refining this open heart that I talked about? And see, when I read that text today, see that the reason why that brings God so much joy, why it makes me weep is because someone is actually realizing that that was his love. How many times have we been offended and we've, I've been offended. I've been offended. And I have to do something with that. Right? But see, I'm not my own. I have to relinquish control. Listen, all of these things are just maturing, refining. Why? The moment you can put them together, the events are never going to stop. How close can you get? Is it two minutes or two years? Is it one moment with Jesus or is it 400 sessions of counseling? You're always going to come back to this same place. This same thing is in your heart forever, forever. Listen, I was, let's turn to, Proverbs 16. I want to blow your mind a little bit. Proverbs 16. Did I say Proverbs or Romans? That was weird. So listen to this. Now we all know Proverbs 16, 3. You know, it says, commit your works to the, to the Lord, submit to Him, and your plans will succeed. We love that part. Right? So all we thought we had to do, right, was just say, hey, go, do you think I should do that? We checked with him, right? We checked with him, and then now everything's going to work out. Isn't it weird how some things that you just thought were going to work out didn't work out just like you thought? So let's go back, and because one and two is a little more important than three. It says, the plans and reflections of the heart belong to man. God set it up that way. Let me give you a snapshot of life. You can plan anything the heck you want to. He gave you that capacity within your heart to do anything you want to do, anytime you want to do it. The plans... He put it in our hearts. That's why he said in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. But you got the plan. That's why if I don't get his plan in my heart, I'll do my plan. And I'll have a measure of success until I fail. And I won't remember that it wasn't his plan. 25,000 steps down the road, I'll be going, well, why aren't you here, God? And why aren't you here? Why did you do that? Let's go back. Let's go back. 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 And since he's a restorer, 
You've got to keep going back to where is that place I got off? And so let's keep reading. It says, but the wise answer of the tongue comes from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean and innocent. Where? In his own eyes. And he may see nothing wrong with his actions. Why? Why did God do that? Why did God do that? Why did God say you can have the plans and then you can't even see your stuff? You can't even smell your own bad breath. Why did he do that? Because he placed it within us to need him in community. That's how I know independence won't work. What does independence breed? Anybody ever been independent in here? What does independence breed? Yes. You have to, you are wanting control so bad. Why do you want to control? This is walking down down the road because you're scared to death. Because you don't trust. So every single plan made out of fear will produce what? Because you're a producer. What does fear produce? Fear produces more and more and more and more destruction. Why? Because it excludes God. Perfect love casts out fear. Right now, we can get triggered, or I really, I really hope that you'll see this tonight. It says, but the Lord weighs and examines the motives and intents of the heart and knows the truth. So I spent some time today thinking about these two words, ways and motives. Now, interesting enough, it's... They have extreme definitions. You know, motives are really, really a crazy thing. When you think of motives, is it plus positive or negative? Think about it for a minute. How many positive motive people do I have? How many negative motive people do I have? And so think about it for a minute. God put plans in you. And he put motives in you. He's a good guy. His creation's good. So what happens to our motives? They become shaped by what protects me. You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday about safety. And Danny Silk was talking about how crazy weird we've gotten with safety. And we've also gotten crazy weird about not making anything safe. We got the two camps, the two extremes all the time. And so this word weighs, listen to this. It says to regulate, to estimate, to measure, to ponder, to balance, to make even, to level out. To test, to prove. This is what he said. The Lord weighs and examines motives. So here's the motive, right? So he puts it on his little scale. Well, I'm going to weigh that. What's he weighing it against? What's the scale? Let's just make it simple. Your assignment. Does this thing, does this motive, this plan, this intent, this thing you got to have, this, 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 that you're going to focus on, put time, pay, spend money for. Can he weigh it? If he weighed it, what would it do on the scale? Now listen, this is what motive means. This is going to blow your mind, I think. Motive is like the spirit. It's wind. It's breath. It's your mind. It can be of heaven, it can be of earth, it can be vain, it can be gas, it can be um, animated, it can be vigor, it can be courage, it can be temper, it can be anger, it can be impatience, it can be patient. It can be troubled, it can be bitter, it can be discontented, 
It can be unaccountable. It can be uncontrolled impulse. It can be a prophetic spirit. It can be living. It can be breathing. It can be a gift. It can be the seed of desire. It can be sorrow. It can be trouble. It can be the seat of mental acts. It can be the will. It can be moral character. It can be the ecstatic state of prophecy. It can be the impelling, impelling the prophet to utter instructions and warnings. It can impart warlike energy and execute administrative power. It can be the energy of life. It can be the manifest Shekinah glory. It can also be a depersonalized force. Why wouldn't I want that weighed? My plan turns into the motive. So, what's my motive? He has to weigh it. I let him weigh it. And so when, so when today he said we need an alignment, a realignment of what? A realignment of this amazing motive that I have within my heart to be good to people. This amazing motive that has taken me years and years and years and years to refine, refine, refine to where I don't really care what it costs. So then today when the call comes, hey, we just need a little more money. We're just almost close. Go get it. Go get it. And then, and then I was like, I think I'm just going to do this little extra thing tomorrow. We, we got finished early. Let's do this little extra thing tomorrow. Why? Because, see, I'm not going to let... The weighing of that moment turned my heart into something that the gift was actually doing in me and in you. See, the moment you see someone walk into the gift that you did something to provide for, there's nothing like it. And we are an amazing 27 people. Yes. We did... $20,000 worth of work in two weeks. Shooty painted the entire house in three days. Never been done before. Oh On the outside. Wasn't even planned. We had a guy that over here at HIS, he just gave us 15 gallons of paint, $400. I went to the doctor yesterday and she asked me what I've been doing. I said, well, not much. But... And she said, how do you do that? I said, I just beg a lot of people. <laughs> I just, you know, I don't beg. It was a little joke. <laughs> See, it's, it's the weighing. It's the weighing. The weighing occurred long before we chose this project. Don't you feel amazed that what you can do. I mean, that's the one thing I just want the girls at Desrim to know is that they can do anything. And there is nothing like being able to do anything. When, you, when, it, when someone says the garage door broke, we can fix it. When somebody said, go hook up the dishwasher, we can hook it up. When somebody says, this is broken, we can fix it. There's something about the empowerment in that ways, listen, that's my plan in life. My plan in life is to be good to people. My plan in life is to make things beautiful inside and out. My plan is to change your life for the better. And that's what happens when it gets weighed. And so think about this for a minute. This amazing weighing word talks about leveling and and when I was reading that, please plan to read the rest of Proverbs 16. It's such an amazing scripture, such an amazing chapter. 
has so much wisdom in it. But when I was thinking about that, it reminded me of Isaiah 40. And also, in Isaiah 40, this way word is in there. But, li- but listen to this. This is not that word, but it's a great chapter. It says, A thunderous voice cries out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for Yahweh's arrival. Make a highway straight through the desert for our God. Every valley will be raised up. Every mountain will be brought low. The rugged terrain will become level ground and the rough places a plain. Then, turn to your neighbor and say then. Then Yahweh's radiant glory will be unveiled. What if... Now we all know that this is what John the Baptist did, but what if now, what if it's our own heart that's being made level? What if the mountains of pride are coming down? That's a weird feeling, isn't it? When you found out pity was pride? That's a mountain. You know, if pity's funny, isn't it? It just pops up anywhere. I could have had a pity party last night about that lady. I, we could pick it about anything. Right. Somebody gets a snow cone, we don't get it. We get, we're pitiful. Right? I mean, our Andy's ice cream took a 10 extra minutes the other night. I was like, what is going on? I mean, <laughs> where are they? And what are they doing? This is like too long. Mine's going to melt. <laughs> you see, something's got to come down. Why? It's too high. It's too peaky. Yahweh can't ride on that. And what's too low? Self-esteem down there in the gutter? Remember what someone said when they were four to you? Someone told me one time, I don't like your black shoes, so I just get black shoes all the time now. Every time I look at them, I think of that girl that said that to me. I don't like black shoes. I'm wearing black shoes right now. Remember what somebody said to you when you were five or six? Remember? Sidwell had an encounter with a dog when she was five or six years. I mean, something's been said to her ever since. Stuff happens when we're little kids. That's a valley. I had to fill up her valley to where it didn't really matter what was said to her when she was five and six years old. Why? Because he's trying to make it level so what his glory can only ride on what's level. Why? Because his glory only flows through what's been refined. And once you've gone through refining, your mountain has come down. Somebody's had to come to Jesus with you probably. I got a phone call today from our friend who is owns a mortgage company where the Bain, I mean the Huffs are getting their loan. And uh she said, I'm not sure it's, I'm not I need some reassurance from you. I'm like, well, okay. Brilliant. She said, I'd call Aubrey and have this talk with her, but she might think it's a scolding. I was thinking, nah. She wouldn't. But she said, the underwriter really don't want to do it. I'm like, no, 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 we're doing it. I'm getting weighed. I'm feeling it. Feeling it. And she said, but I really went to bat for them because of you. Are you sure they can do this? My reputation's on the line. And see, there's a weighing going on right there. And I said, listen, I've had to come to Jesus with them. And I told them, but I said, let me tell you, there are 27 people that won't let them fail. I said, I know this is God. And I said, and I know that without you, And without God's intervention, they would not be able to do this. And they know it too. There's a weighing. They didn't get the loan because of their reputation. 
Listen, listen, you want to be me one day. You want, you want him to weigh every little thing of your life. So one day someone will call you and say, can you vouch? And you're going to have to know whether you know. You're going to have to know. Do you really know? Can you really say yes? Do you know that you know God will provide where it doesn't look like that they can do it? You're going to have to know. Because see, in this day and age, His glory is trying to be revealed and He has got to make the plane smooth. And your heart is what He's trying to make smooth. We don't have time to be lifted up in pride. We don't have time to be so sunk down low in the valley that everybody has to encourage us to just believe Jesus' blood is enough. We don't have time to clean up our messes of our parents and our sisters and our brothers from the past who God presented them with the same idea. Serve me. We have people's lives to change and we have a destiny to fulfill. We have an assignment to do no matter what. It says, a voice cries out. And I ask, what should I say? All people are as frail as grass, and their elegance is like wilting wildflowers. The grass withers, the flower fades. This is little Isaiah. When the breath of Yahweh blows on it, the grass withers and the flowers fade, and people are just like grass. Even though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God stands strong forever. That's why you have to have a word from God. Two and a half years ago, God told me they were going to move into this house. That was my word from God. I can't force it. I have to hold it just like this. He's weighing it the whole time. If I grab it and I'm like, we're doing it, we're pushing it all through. I can get it across the line. Come on, people. That's me. The whole time. I'm always presenting it. Here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity. I'm going to do it with or without you. But here's an opportunity. And when you finally buy into, she's really not giving me an opportunity to throw my money away. She's really giving me an opportunity to invest in eternity. It's already started. Listen to this. I had to read this to you. In Romans 5, it says, By entering through faith into what God has already wanted to do for us, set us right with Him, make us fit for Him. We have it all together with God because of our Master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God. And we discover at the same moment that He's already thrown open His door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand. Out in the wide open spaces of God's glory and grace. Standing tall and shouting our praise. But wait, there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles. Because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us. And how that passion turns in and forges the tempered steel of virtue. Keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours out into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and He doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented Himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. (laughs) 
understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. And now we're set right with God by means of this sacrificial death. The consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. If when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by this sacrificial death of His Son, now that we're at our very best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of His resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plotting pose. We sing and shout our praises to God, to Jesus. You know the story of how Adam landed us. This is the message, isn't it fun? You know our story of how Adam landed us in this dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and in everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So, death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had the experience of this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam who got us all into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us all out. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured through one man Jesus will do. There is no comparison between the death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, sovereign life, in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that was the one man Jesus provides. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong, and got us into all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us all out of it. More than, more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many in the right. What is your yes way? What does it weigh? Does it weigh a prophetic voice this generation is crying out for? Or does it weigh offense in your heart because someone didn't quite say it like you hoped they would say it? Listen, if we know anything around here is that our life's testimony should be an open book to say, look where I came from. I remember where I was when you found me. I was in need of love when you found me. Come on, Mendel. <laughs> oh, 
what a beautiful night, right? Man. V, I'm already waiting on that upload to re-listen to that. I need to hear all that again. I need to hear her say all that again and read those scriptures again. So good. Well, I have a couple of just closing thoughts to share and then a line from the Old Testament. Tisa shared a lot, you know, the New Testament. I'm going to share the Old Testament version of what we're talking about, something that the Holy Spirit showed me. But when uh, Tisa told me just briefly a little part of this earlier today, and and while the words um, don't actually aren't actually the same, I realize that there's a play on words in the English language when the scripture she read about God weighing, right? And then the verse that she read about make way for King Jesus, right? Making way. So there's the weighing, the W-E-I-G-H, and then the W-A-Y for making way. And I love that term. I love that phrase, make way for the king, make way for King Jesus. I mean, I love, I pray that almost every single day. Literally, I say, make way for King Jesus in me, make, make, make way for King Jesus through me and around me and the people coming towards me all the ways, all the ways, make way for King Jesus to move. And that's just such a powerful picture, right? But it's so the connection with what Tisa was sharing tonight and what she's talked about with the open heart is so powerful. What if we change the W-A-Y to say make way the W-E-I-G-H in our hearts for King Jesus? What if we kept that on the forefront of our minds and we we're like, weigh me, weigh my heart every day, every day with a, as a constant, constant thing. And that makes way for King Jesus. And so I hope that's something you can just cling to because of the, that, that play on words. And another thing that came to me today is that I, I got a phone call from somebody that I've known for a long time. And I just, it was the, basically the exact same phone call we've had a million times because nothing's changed, you know, nothing has changed. That person is still doing their same MO. They're still doing the same thing they've done for all of these years and so what occurred to me, um, you know, then I also had heard about, uh, I think it was Johnny Enlow talking about his parents, and I'd heard these little snippets about how he was raised and what his parents believed in, and they were missionaries and just the, the like five generations of, of ministers, basically, and they were had really staunch beliefs, really strict beliefs, and so everything I had heard, just little tidbits, made him sound like, man, these are people who had their heels dug in to their beliefs. And, and it made me wonder at this point in time, what are they, where are they in the world right now in terms of what's going on, like what Johnny Enlow himself is sharing, you know, because it was a, a, a drastic difference. And I, I had always kind of wondered that. And, um, I happened to hear a little snippet a few weeks ago that they, they repented, like they were able to be changed after what already sounded like such a long-term investment, like they really had a lot of motive and momentum going towards one way of believing. And I thought, how powerful is that? Because that shows that their heart was always truly with Jesus. You know, they, they had the true relationship. They were doing what they knew. But And so a true heart connection with Jesus, a true heart connection with God means that we will constantly at every stage of our life be weighed and we will make way for him in that by doing so. And so, you know, his parents, it sounded like they even in their their last years were still building the kingdom despite having actually furthered uh, something that we would now consider to be kind of a false doctrine you know, for so many years, they still furthered the kingdom because they were moldable, because they were open to being weighed, because they knew that despite everything we know and understand and have, have heard and preached to us and preached to other people, our, I know this one thing, my heart is meant to be weighed by him. And that I know my ways seem right to me, but he's the one who's really right. And he has the right to change me anytime, change my course. And so I just picture it as that, like a sailboat, you know, the wind is going to blow and are you going to be blowing in, in, in his direction with what he has, or is your course already set and are you in your own way? So when that wind comes to move, it's, it's, there's a motive, like there's momentum and motive, you know, it's not stagnant. 
there's already some some turning, some rolling. You're moving. Some things are moving in that direction. And um, you know, another another tidbit I, I'll go ahead and share is that it came to me in a in um, at the encounter room last time that these things that are we think are right in our hearts right now they may not seem like monumental things that would even be a big influence if we were off slightly at right now but down the road I mean just trust trust hearing it from people who are older than you those same thoughts those same perspectives will be devastating to you if you, 20 years down the road if it's not what if it's what you think is right and it's not what God says is right though there is momentum behind those things and I, I phrased it this way I said I had no idea that my own perspectives that sounded godly sounded good sounded humble sounded right in just about every circle I knew to ask right <laughs> it was backed up by people that that mindset was setting a trap for me 20 years later. That's a harsh thing to learn. And I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying a little trap like, oh, it was an inconvenient. I'm saying a devastating trap. Those mindsets are of such importance. Like she said, the, your heart, what's in your heart, the way you see things, there is a great, great cost to pay if you don't allow God to weigh those things if you don't have that open heart and live with a lifestyle where it's constantly open, not just checking in every now and then. And so I've been reading um, in Nehemiah, in Ezra and Nehemiah lately, and I was just reading for my own sake, you know, just for fun, really, um, last night, and this line jumped out at me. And so I want to read it to you because you know the story of, in the Old Testament, is our story. And so at this point in Nehemiah, you know, the Israelites, you know, they were, they got through Egypt and then they, they make it to the promised land with Jacob and all of that. And then, you know, all this time, this is like years and years and years later. And so now I, I don't know if I have all the, 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 the order of things right, but I think they, uh, Jerusalem and Judah were conquered by Assyria. And then the Babylonians, I think, conquered the Assyrians and then the uh, Persians, I think, conquered them. And basically, they were in captivity all this time, right? And so in Ezra, they come back and rebuild the temple. Okay, they're still in captivity, but the, the people over in authority over them say, we'll give you permission to go build your temple. And then in Nehemiah, they build, they give him permission to go and build the wall back around Jerusalem, around the temple, right? And so their base, it's, you know, I don't even know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, right? And basically, at this point in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 9 is where I'm going to read from, they have realized that they're trying to have all of their heart weighed, okay? And they realize that themselves and their ancestors for several generations have gotten really far off, and they don't even know it. So they chose to come back and rebuild the temple and rebuild the wall and begin to rebuild Jerusalem, but they had to go through this heart weighing process because they, they didn't even know that they'd gotten off. And so Ezra and Nehemiah are, are pointing things out to them and they realize because they've intermarried, like their ancestors married um, people of tribes that God said not to marry from. And so now they have to separate. They had to do this separation thing, right? And so they're trying to get right with God. And new things continue to be um, revealed to them. So at this point in Nehemiah, they are having this great um, gathering of all the people where they've realized once again, they have kind of, um, they didn't realize how much they'd grieved God, put it that way. And so they're having this huge gathering and the Levites say, stand up, worship the eternal who is your God, who exists from everlasting to everlasting. And I wish I could read the whole thing to you, but it's, it's several verses from like verse five all the way through the end of chapter nine. But they recount the story of their entire history. But they do it in this way. The Levites are saying all this. May your glorious name be praised, even lifted up beyond all blessing and praise. You are the eternal, the only one. The skies are your work alone. And it goes on to talk about creation and heaven. And, and you are the eternal God. You chose Abram and drew him out of Ur from the, of the Chaldeans. You changed his name to Abraham. 
In him you found a true heart, a heart devoted to you. You made with him a covenant and that the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Girgashites, never heard that one before, would belong to him and his descendants and what you have promised you have done because you are righteous. They realize hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later that God fulfilled the promise of Abraham, that they are the descendants and they're like, we know you did your part. And so they basically go on to say that. They said, when our ancestors suffered in Egypt, you saw their misery. When they were trapped at the edge of the Red Sea, you heard their cries. You know, it goes on to talk about what he did there, how he trapped the Egyptians when they pursued them and he overcame them. He led them like uh, by a cloud shaped like a pillar during the day, during the night, a pillar of fire. They're acknowledging everything they've done. he's done for them, right? You revealed to your people your sacred Sabbath and how to keep it holy through your servant Moses. You taught them how to live, giving commands and decrees. When your people were hungry, you gave them food from heaven. When you were, they were thirsty, you made water flow out of a rock. You told them to enter the land you promised them. You told them to enter and take possession of it. But our ancestors resisted following you. They were arrogant. They were proud. They refused to obey your commands, plugging their ears. Knowing what you had done for them in the past, they willfully forgot it in the present. Now that part of the story repeats several times. And that's exactly what we are prone to do is to, to be arrogant, to acknowledge what he did for us, to worship him up here, and then go out and plug our ears about what he's saying about our present day. And I love how it says they willfully, willfully forgot it in the present. That means it was a choice. They made a choice to harden their heart. They made a choice to plug their ears when God was weighing them. And so... It goes on to say how the, you know, they talked about they just decided to appoint a leader to take them back to oppression, back to Egypt. But they said, but you are not like us, God. You are filled with love, compassion, and forgiveness. You endure much with your anger and display your loyal love. You did not abandon them. And it goes on to talk about how they made a, col uh, a gold cow, you know, and even the, the, the pillar of fire was not extinguished, even though they had done that. And um, on and on and on, it talks about the territory they took and how you, you brought them to the very land you promised Abraham's descendants, right? Walked them into the promised land. Into the land they went and it became theirs. For our forefathers, you made sure even the Canaanites there were powerless. You subdued everything and everyone to their power, land, kings, and people to do with as they pleased. They overwhelmed strong and secure cities. They overtook fertile, productive land. They claimed well-furnished houses, filled wells that were already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and orchards filled with fruit. They ate their fill. They grew fat. They basked in your generosity and goodness. Even so, Again, they chose to defy you. They rebelled. They abandoned your law. They killed the prophets. Let's not kill the prophets. I just want us to see ourselves there. You know, when we have nights like tonight where we're so grateful, they were too, and they still abandoned him. He never abandoned them, but they abandoned him, even while enjoying the fruit of everything that God had given them. Again, you sent them liberators and saviors. And as soon as they were at peace, they began to wander and abandon you and did evil things. It just tells the story over and over how they basically just continued to repeat that, right? Year after year, your patience endured. It was because of your great mercy that they were not completely annihilated or forsaken. You are grace-filled and mercy-laden God. So now that comes up to present day and it says, please don't overlook our troubles here. 
and let your mercy continue, basically. You, he says, you, you are righteous in all that you have done to us. You have faithfully upheld your part of the covenant, but we have acted with evil. None of our kings, princes, priests, or ancestors followed your law. They actively reject, rejected your commands and ignored many warnings you sent. Many warnings that we have, those many warnings when our heart's being weighed. Even when they had everything, when they ruled in their own land, the promised land, right? Without worry, according to your great generosity, when they relaxed into the spacious, fertile land that you set before them, even then they refused to serve you or turn away from their wicked ways. And here it is. And we are once again slaves in the bountiful land that you gave to our ancestors for our pleasure and enjoyment. We are slaves in our own land. That's the line that jumped out at me last night. We are slaves in our own land. It says, we have sown sin and the labor we provide on this land feeds the kings that you've placed over us. Our bodies and our beasts do not belong to us, but to them. And they do with us what they want. And so they made, at the end of this, they made a new covenantal agreement with God. That was the purpose of their gathering. Because I want you to recognize, they recognized we are living in the land that was given to us. Wells that were already dug, houses that were already furnished. Like, like God went before them, prepared the promised land, just like he said. And he's done that for us, don't you see? He's done it already for us. And they recognize we're slaves in our own land. How many times are we slaves in our own promised land? How many times when you remember what God's already done, you remember where you were when he found you, but then you, you still choose a path that is not in keeping with God's. You choose to not listen to him when he's weighing your heart and you become a slave in your own freedom. In your own freedom, promised land, you become a slave. Now, do you remember, again, the word of the year? We, we, I propose that we will be like the Israelites, that back in years to come, we will look back on the 1900s and early 2000s, and we will say we were, as a people, enslaved to fear. I, I said that back then at the beginning of the year, that we will enslave to fear because when you act, when you create out of fear, preventative measures, and you don't let God weigh your heart in that moment. Instead, you are enslaved to fear. You are building the kingdom of fear instead of the kingdom of God. And you also remember the Holy Spirit's really been trying to give us, you know, he gives us bookends messages. He's really been trying to show us. He also talked about how um, in uh, John 10, 10, when it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Remember, we talked about how the word kill doesn't mean to actually just kill. It means to sacrifice, to make you a sacrifice to another God, to make you enslaved to another God. That's what kill actually means. So this issue of having an open heart and having allowing God to weigh your heart in decisions that may seem really small, are the difference between building God's kingdom or building fear's kingdom. It's, it's a difference between being a king or queen in your promised land or being enslaved on the same land. We've got to understand God's done all of his part. How we participate with the way and the process he made makes a determination about whether or not we rule in our land or we are enslaved in our own land. Doesn't that hit home just a little bit deeper? Like they weren't just taken into captivity in some foreign land. It was their promised land they were enslaved in. In their own promised land, they were enslaved. And that is really what's on the line when we are being weighed, when our heart's being weighed. So Papa, I just want to say thank you. And I thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you, Jesus, for all that you've already done 
for us. I thank you, Papa, for all that you've already done for us. I thank you that you sent your spirit so that we would have your own spirit within us telling us these things on a personal level. We don't have to have a preacher or minister or somebody go with us. You are in us speaking all the time. You are saying, hey, I'm weighing your heart in this moment. You are telling us what it really means. You are telling us how much we will not like the results of this 20 years down the road. You are trying to say, this is not a good path for you. You are trying to say before on your, on your right is one way, on your left is another, choose life. You are trying to say all the time, choose life, choose to be a king or queen, choose to be royalty rather than be a slave in the promised land that has already been established and declared as our personal promised land. It's not a matter of whether we can reach it. It's a matter of whether or not we will be who you made us to be while we're in it. So I thank you. I thank you, Papa. I just thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your goodness that has been unrelenting since the beginning of time. I thank you that you are who you say you are and you continue to into our present day to be who you said you always would, would be and that you give us the, the wind, the breath of your wind in our, in, behind your plans and our motives when they're aligned with you. And so I thank you for all that you've given us, and I thank you for your mercy and your compassion and your grace, and I thank you that you've already released within each person's heart all that they need to choose differently in the days ahead, to choose to partner with you, to choose to be more sensitive to what you're saying, to choose to unplug their ears. Help us willfully make the right decision with you. So we thank you, and we love you today. We celebrate who you are. We celebrate what you're doing in our life. And we thank you for all that's ahead for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.